0: Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for another Mailbag, where I answer your observations, your questions, your inquiries, and ultimately your comments on tennis and other things. I posted on the YouTube community tab over 24 hours ago. I posted on Twitter, at Gil underscore Gross, and I got a lot of good comments that I'm excited to get into as we head into clay season, Monte Carlo starting on Monday, and uh An exciting time on the tour, no doubt. I am live on YouTube for a multitude of reasons, one of them being that uh, I don't have much time and it's going to cut down on upload time. But happy to be live. It's a beautiful Saturday morning to talk some tennis. So lots of stuff in here. Uh, Novak Djokovic's return, Carlos Alcaraz and you know is obviously the talk of the ATP right now Iga Tretenk who's won three straight masters 1000 events and has risen to number 1 in the world uh Stefanos Tsitsipas got a lot of interest in the comments as we move into clay and Tsitsipas's results have been less than stellar since last clay season uh by his standards so a lot of uh interesting comments about what he needs to do to turn things around and uh of course much much more so we get into the mailbag after a quick word from Player Court, a shout out to them because Player Court is the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner or match. The number one reason people quit tennis is because they can't find anyone to play with. I don't want that to happen to you. I've arranged a 50 a 50% discount for you to join the Player Court community at the link below, playercourt.com backslash Gil Gross. Let's get into this. Let me check on the stream to make sure everything's good. Everything does look good. Hello to everyone and thanks for uh, for joining live. Let's get into the first comment. From Usman, Joe Wilfred Sanga will be retiring at the French this year, as we all know. What was your favorite memory or match from him? Well, I think I'll remember Sanga... A lot of it will be for the joy he brought to the court. Enjoyed the game immensely. Never looked like uh, it was a drag for him to be out there. I think the the Wimbledon runs, a couple of them that he had, are probably what sticks in my head. I'd be lying if I said there was one quintessential Joe Wilfred Sanga match that really stuck with me. Um, but maybe that win over Fetter Wimbledon 2011. And I did particularly enjoy watching Sanga on grass with uh, the way he attacked the net, the way, obviously, he was able to serve and, and use his forehand and play aggressive tennis. That was Price Sangha at his best. Not to mention, he loved himself a good diving volley. So that was always a feature of Wimbledon. But, you know, a, a Hulk-like athlete, you know, this very, very powerful, bulky athlete... Is, is also one of the things that I think made Sanga so unique. Uh, that kind of sticks in my head about him. Uh, he will certainly be missed. I know I know he was a favorite, a fan favorite for many. And again, I mean, had a, a really jubilant way about him. So uh, happy retirement to Joe Wilfred Sanga. A great way to start off the mailbag, no doubt. From Yiv. Ken Shviantek, Be as dominant as Barty was. Barty's serve was the best on tour. That helped her a lot through difficult times as well. That's what separated her from other players. Sviantek's serve is nowhere near Barty's level, and it seems without that advantage, it'll be difficult to maintain that dominance throughout the whole season. Hmm. Well, a couple things. First of all, yes, you know, Miami and Indian Wells are slower hard courts. Doha is not. So, as far as okay, you know, can Fiantek be great on all surfaces with a serve that isn't a weapon, she could very well have just proven in the last you know three tournaments that she can win on on at least hard court without the serve being a primary weapon. I do I do think Doha's a pretty fast hard court, unlike Indian Wells in Miami. Uh, it, it's a fair point, it's a fair thing to bring up. Uh, I can't say that Barty was weakness free. I think Sviantec returns a little bit better than Ash, and obviously Barty did not have a drive backhand, which a lot of people, you know, could obviously you could obviously write it off and say, well, her slice was great, and that much is true. But make no mistake, Barty not having a drive backhand was an impediment. It was not. Uh, it did come up to be a problem in matchups where the slice wasn't as effective, in scenarios where her opponent brought themselves to net and Barty had to make a pass, or if the positioning of the rally suggested that Barty had to hit a drive backhand, it just wasn't a great shot for her, and that was a weakness. So uh, Iga's serve, yeah, the second serve, that's the most attackable part of her game right now, is the second serve. We saw the blueprint to beat Sviantek is what Danielle Collins did to her. You have to really take the racket out of Sviantek's hands on the second serve return if you're an opponent. So that's what Danielle Collins did. But you know what? Also, Sviantek's 20 years old, and Barty's game was further along in development than Iga's should be at this age now. So the answer to the question, can Sviantek be as dominant as Barty was, I think she probably will be. So I, I think yes. Uh, from Motaz, how much of a hindrance do you think Nadal's injury will be to his RG preparations? Also, any chance the injury could be a blessing in disguise? I did answer this on the last mailbag. I, I think it depends on when he's able to come back and how much he's able to play. Might it be a blessing in disguise that he doesn't put himself through the gauntlet of Monte Carlo, Barcelona? Madrid, Rome, Roland Garros. I I thought that was probably as I said in the last mailbag. That's probably one tournament too many in my opinion. But so 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 maybe, maybe. And I mean, again, it, it really we have to see what the return looks like before we can make a judgment on what the effect might be at the start of Roland Garros. You know, th- there's a reason why I don't I don't spend all year predicting I'm not going to spend the entire clay court season predicting what happens in Paris because, you know, so much changes. It's, it's just not a useful activity. For Mike Knee, what do you think of the randomness of the seeding in tournaments? Also, are you planning on bringing back the Hulk player videos you made a few years ago? Hulk absolutely needs to be updated. There is no doubt. I, I haven't looked at the, the previous Hulk in a while, but I'm sure its skills are diminished and, and, you know, it it might be vulnerable. It might, it might start to lose some tennis matches and we can't have that out of the Hulk player. So that should certainly be updated. Thank you for reminding me, Mike. And, uh, I will look to get on that, that the randomness of seating in tournaments. That's a mailbag favorite. You guys love that. You guys love that question. Uh, it does not bother me. However, I am also not against them kind of standardizing the seeding. So for those who don't know what this is in reference to, this would be uh, some people want the one seed to always be in the quarter with the eight seed, the two and the seven, the three and the six and the four and the five. That would eliminate the randomness. Instead, we have a situation where uh, it is randomized. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind that really either way. It doesn't really bother me though that it's randomized. I got to say, uh, Josh Ford, what would constitute a realistic clay court season for Tsitsipas? He seems to have gone backwards since losing the Roland Garros final last year. Yeah, I was looking. Tsitsipas is three and seven against top twenty players since R.G. last year. So the idea that he's taken a step backwards is certainly supported with with those stats. And, you know, he's made some runs, but he's just not playing the best of the best very well and, and hasn't for a long time. Now, a couple of factors at play. First of all, the, the number one thing is, is he's had this elbow that I think derailed him at the end of 2021. And I think definitely gave a lot of reason to temper expectations for the start of 2022. He didn't have a proper off season. He wasn't able to work on his skills. He wasn't able to make a step forward. He was focused on rehabilitation, which is a huge loss. So, you know, the fact that I would be very much ready to criticize Pass for stagnating on the areas of his game where he has needed to get better. Because the the return, namely, has not been better. It has not. It, it looks the same. It's not better. The slice isn't much better. I think he's probably going to start to get better on, on that shot. I, I think Apostolos, whatever they were trying to do there, was just simply inefficient. And we'll see if Thomas Enquist uh, can provide a new perspective on how to improve that shot uh you know physically and, and mentally I, I don't know if if there have been some stuff left on the table there but but mostly T has just kind of looked like the same guy who has these major weaknesses on hard court especially on the backhand side and those have been exploited by really good players like Carlos Alcaraz and Jensen Brooksby over the course of the Sunshine Double. I would be very much ready to criticize him had he not lost the offseason, the ability to hone those skills during the offseason. With that being said, injury time is up. Those kinds of, and I, I hesitate to use the word excuses because they're not their explanations and. Uh, it's it's your job to analyze reasons why thing. It's my job to to look at the reasons of why something might happen. We know Titi Pass is a great player. We know at his best he's easily a tier one, top five player. So why hasn't he been over the course of the last six months? You got to look for reasons. It's not just because it. You know there has to be reasons, and I I do think it's mostly the elbow, and what's happened over the course of time because of the elbow, and he hasn't gotten any better, plain and simple. Now he comes to the clay, it's time for the results to turn around. And the concern level for me will certainly take a sharp rise if he doesn't have a very strong clay court season with wins against top 10 players, with runs to finals, and potentially a big title here that, you know, that's what he needs. You know, this is his surface and he's had plenty of time, I think, to distance himself from the elbow injury, the change of strings, the relationship with Thomas Enquist. That was also a new thing recently. So there's been a lot going on. Now is the time for him to turn around his results. And I expect him to. I I do. So my expectations for him, are very, very high coming into Clay court season. And I I think he would say the same of himself. Okay, from Z1AZ, how big of a threat is Alcaraz at Roland Garros? Clay is not his best surface despite two titles, but on a given day, he is definitely capable of upsetting anyone. However, best of five over two weeks may be a bridge too far for him at the French... Um, this year at least. I do think he's perfectly capable of winning Madrid over all the other clay Masters 1000s. The conditions suit him perfectly. So this comment seems to think that Alcaraz is clearly better on quicker, more offensive surfaces. I mean, I I don't know that we know that. Yes, Alcaraz is a very offensive player, but he does have the best court coverage in the world right now. In my opinion, and he grew up playing on clay. So I think the assumption probably before this year is that clay would be his best surface. I don't know what's gonna happen in his career. I I think it's very possible that hardcourt, when it's all said and done, is where he has his best results. The way he takes the ball on the rise, how he can play both defense and offense. Uh, He moves so well on the surface, clearly. But, you know, I, I don't, I think that's yet to be seen. I think the jury's still out. And you know what? With, when it comes to in the modern game, complete all around players, we've seen very, very clearly complete players are not going to be very surface dependent in the modern era since homogenization you look at novak Djokovic and rafael nadal and roger federer and what they've been able to do and yes there have been percentage points that have been affected by surface yes there have been head-to-head dynamics especially in the nadal Djokovic rivalry where surface has mattered a lot but at the end of the day when it comes to the rest of the field they have beaten everyone on every surface because that's how it is nowadays the 90s are over and Alcaraz is going to be a threat on every surface. As far as Roland Garros, as far as best of five, a lot of comments asking me about Gil. Best of five, Alcaraz, what's going to happen here? RG. The man, fitness is just not... Look, young players struggle in best of five because they're not ready physically. For the most part, I think that's what it is. Focus might be another thing. It. I think it. it is hard for young players to... To be consistent and focused over the course of a very long match, but it's mainly fitness. And that's just not an issue for Alcaraz. So I don't consider best of five a hindrance to Carlos at all. And I come, come Paris, best of five is not going to be a minus points, a deduction for my evaluation of what Carlos Alcaraz can do. No way. From Patrick, hi, Gil. What is your opinion on the way tennis is speeding up? For example, the shot clocks, the tie breaks in every set now. As an admirer of the tradition of tennis, these things hurt me. But as a person who wants to see more fans of tennis, I have to respect it. Thoughts? Uh, Great question. Well, first of all, I don't really think that they've done anything that has drastically changed the game, if we're being completely honest. The, the serve clock comes up once in a while, and it becomes a thing. But for the most part, it's not really a thing. You play a match without really paying attention to it. Or I should more say you watch a match without paying attention to it. Uh, Tiebreaks, let's see how that plays out. Look, I was always a proponent of, of the U.S. Open format anyway. Uh, to me... You play five sets and I I don't really need there have been very enjoyable and epic matches that have not been finished with the deciding set tie break, but to me like let's 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 find a winner here. Uh, let's find a finish line. I, I think that's perfectly reasonable. You still have to win by two in the tie break. Uh, so it's not, it's not, there's no sudden death really, but uh, I mean, I don't see why you can't play all five sets the same. Uh, it's best of five, best of five sets. That's fine by me. I don't even know why we have to play the tiebreak to 10. I'm not complaining. It's fine. 10 point tiebreak, whatever. Maybe you make it special. Maybe that's going to be good. Let, let's see how it plays out. But I wouldn't even complain if they played it to seven. I thought the, the old us open format was absolutely fine. That's, that's my two cents. Uh, but in general you ask me about speeding up the game. I'm very I guess my main thing is I am I am very very suspicious of the implication that speeding up the game is going to bring new fans to tennis. Very suspicious of that assumption. I look at the people in my life, who do not watch tennis. And I I love to think of my girlfriend as an example, who is a sports fan, who is a fan of, indivi- of an individual sport, figure skating. And I think, okay, she doesn't watch tennis. What if you made it? And, and she complains about how long it is all the time. <laughs> and then my follow-up, and I ask this to everyone. Think about the people in your life who don't watch tennis. What if you made it one set? What if you made it an hour long? What if you timed it hour and a half? Would they watch? The answer is no. The answer is almost always no. People who watch tennis, they love the sport and they watch it. People who don't, you can't just speed it up and expect them to come along. That's not gonna make the difference. You have to, look, there are so many things that tennis can improve, but it's it's mostly about storytelling and marketing and transcending the sport into new media and I think those are the things that really make a difference. I think this Netflix series can be something that makes a big difference as it has in Formula One. Um, Stuff like that. Stuff like that I think makes a difference. I don't think speeding up the game will bring new fans. I'm suspicious of that assumption. Next one comes from Andrew. What are your realistic expectations for Djokovic coming back to the tour for the first time since Dubai, having only played three matches in all of 2022? It seems easy to assume he will be contending quickly and likely a favorite in many tournaments with Nadal still out, but do you think the time off, even though he was healthy, will play a larger factor than people think? If it does play a factor, it's going to go away very quickly, I think, and I'm not too worried about Novak as a whole. Now, Monte Carlo, and I'll get into this more in the preview, I want to kind of save this, Monte Carlo is not a place where I really think Djokovic, it's not a tournament where I like him as much as other tournaments, even other clay tournaments. Uh, for a multitude of reasons, and I got into it on three, but uh, mostly the calendar spot. I don't think it's advantageous. Uh, the the wind, I think it does not help. The sheer pace, I think, is just a little bit too slow for for Novak to to really be at his very best. But it's mostly the calendar spot. Would I be surprised if it takes Novak some time to rev up his engines? No. Not at all. At the same time, do I see anyone in his section of the Monte Carlo draw before Alcaraz that I think is threatening? No. And then, you know, let's. It, it really comes down to what happens in that quarterfinal. But ultimately, as long as Djokovic has been able to find motivation and train very, very hard during this time of kind of uncertainty where he doesn't really know when the next time he's going to compete, although it has been clear for quite a bit of time that he was going to be able to play Monte Carlo. As long as Novak has found the fire, then I think he will be fine. And let's be real. I mean, we've seen these guys come back from injury and play well. Novak hasn't even been injured, so I'm sure physically and mentally he's going to feel very fresh coming into this clay court season. It might take him some time, I think, to get the competitive juices flowing, to get match tough, but I mean, if we're at the end of the day, what matters is Roland Garros, and it appears he will have plenty of time to get into tip-top shape when it's time to go to Paris. From Niklas, Uh, Thank you for being a member, by the way. And uh, you can become a member by hitting the join button, $2 a month. Carlos Alcaraz has certainly ignited during the last few months, and I am as excited as anybody. In your 2022 year-end prediction, you had him as number seven. I don't think that's correct. I think I had him as number six. Uh, Would you revise that number with the knowledge you have today? And with no one thus far looking to have a dominant year due to injuries and missed tournaments, could he even be a contender for year-end number one? Well, at the end of the day, I think it would be kind of crazy to not consider that Carlos can be year-end and number one for a very simple fact. He's number two in the race. So after Miami, how could you look at the guy who's number two in the race and say he doesn't have a chance to be number one? Uh, when it's all said and done, I know there's three majors to play. There is so much to go. But we we have had, I think, a sufficient enough sample size where it is fair to start looking at the race and observing the race. We have had—it's not as if also like, I don't know, we were looking at an RBA who notoriously plays amazing in January And does really well in Miami. But then you know he's going to drop off on clay. Um, And it's not like an example of that. Not to pick on RBA. But I, I say RBA because he's an example of a player who is often further ahead in the race at this time of year than where he will end. For Alcaraz, that is not clear. He, you know, his best major so far is last year's U.S. Open. He, you know, he should be good this summer on the hard courts. The clay still could be his best surface right now. We don't know. So yeah, Alcaraz is a contender for year-end number one. I that is a reality right now. Let's see what other questions. Would I revise the number six? Yes, yes. And let the record show that I picked him ahead of Yannick Sinner at the start of 2022, uh, two, and I had him at at number six, which is already a huge rise. Many of the comments critiquing my selections were that I had Carlos too high. So he has really, I mean, the expectations were were very high for him, and he has very much ran right through them, which has been amazing. But obviously, we, you know, he has to keep it going, and we'll see. Tal Lee, Carlos Alcaraz versus Novak. That's all in my mind, honestly, and I hope to see this matchup. I will say this right now. I don't see, you know, the players in that section of the draw. I'm having trouble seeing that matchup not happening. I do think we're going to get that quarterfinal. I really do. And what I will say about it is uh, because Djokovic's advantage lies against Alcaraz, figures to lie so heavily in the serve-return dynamic having a far superior serve to Alcaraz. That would help him more anywhere else. Monte Carlo is one of the worst serving venues in the world. So there's going to be a lot of returns in play and a lot of baseline rallies. That is going to make this matchup as tough as can be for Djokovic. This is probably... In this matchup, I think Monte Carlo is where Alcaraz would would want to play it, pretty much. Uh, for, for playing Djokovic. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, I will have to pick it, but I'm not going to pick it here. I'm going to make you guys watch the preview, which will come out later today. From Roberto, why is Tsitsipas so effective on clay? I always thought he would play better on hard courts. It's really because he's how he's able to protect his backhand and hit more forehands. If the ball slows down on the court, more time to run around and hit forehands. The return of serve with the ball slowing down when it hits the the court, he's able to get way more returns in play. It's a big weakness on quicker courts that he's not able to get enough returns in play. And when he does, oftentimes they are attackable returns. He's able to use his athleticism and his defense while still using the weight of shot and the prolific offense that comes off of the forehand to play great defense and offense on clay on hardcourt and grass. He doesn't, he can't really play great defense because his backhand defense isn't good on those surfaces. So it's about hiding his weaknesses. And again, I, I think there's been a thing where like the comparisons to Roger Federer have really, messed with perception with TT Pas where people i think for a lot of years i think i think everybody is starting to now notice but i think TT Pas coming up everyone was like oh he's going to be great on grass got a great forehand and a transition game and a one-handed backhand no that was never going to happen it could happen but he's got to work on himself right now he's he's clay clay's the best uh, surface for TT Pas has been for his entire career From Medezio, thanks for being a member. Do you think that Sviantec and Alcaraz have a similar play style? Uh, What are the main similarities and differences between them? I, I can't say that I've ever thought about them as similar until reading this comment. I will say that both of them share the qualities of being superlative athletes, of having that kind of modern Ground stroke game with a really tremendous weight of shot, heavy topspin on the forehand, kind of a a flatter backhand, comfortable taking the ball early on the rise now, and a really a really incredible combination of mobility and power, speed and power. And they're able to kind of attack off of both wings as well. I think more than anything, though, Alcaraz and Svantec, they they share a lot of traits that most great players share, most elite players share. And unless I'm missing something, there's nothing really about how their stylistic quirks that I think remind me of each other, if we're being honest. Uh, Tennis with uh, Rayetsu. Uh, Rayestu. Actually, uh, what do you think of Medvedev's disappointing results in the American hard court swing this spring? Do you think coming in as world number one had an effect on this? And do you think he will get back to his level quickly? Yeah, you know, slower conditions, slower hard courts, uh, fatigue, three week off season, insufficient. That was never going to work. And the pressure of being number one. I think all of those things likely had an effect on, on Medvedev's slow uh, sunshine double from Olivia. Considering the fact that Medvedev could be out until Roland Garros and banned from Wimbledon, do you predict him taking the world number one spot ever again? Also semi-related, how big of a roadblock do you think Medvedev could pose to Alcaraz in the near future? I know he easily beat Alcaraz at Wimbledon, but Alcaraz has improved exponentially since then. First of all, I mean, I think Medvedev certainly will be number one again. Be, I mean look given given the way the calendar is how many hard court tournaments has Medvedev dominated or played well at now 3 years in a row so many of them the the hard court prowess is so so accented so clear that certainly he is going to be number 1 again not 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 so worried about Medvedev long term for being for being honest here. Um, Alcaraz Medvedev is a really interesting matchup. That's actually the matchup that probably in- interests me most uh, with Alcaraz. Because, first of all, Daniil's defense and court coverage, and Novak will, will do this too, uh, and shot tolerance, will test Alcaraz's ability to construct a point patiently and consistently um, offensively. It will test that skill to the max. It will test those skills to the max. Now, I, I would expect drop shot and serve and volley to be a massive factor for Carlos against Daniel. And I think he'd use those weapons very, very well. So that is something to consider. But obviously, you have this pronounced serve return. Or, or I should say serve. This pronounced serving advantage to Medvedev. Even more pronounced than the Djokovic matchup. Uh, and then a very, very distinctive way about baseline rallies. I do think Alcaraz would be the aggressor there, and uh, it, would be, it would be a fascinating matchup. I, I hope to see it soon. From Rafael, predictions for Kyrgios' clay season. Prediction is that he loses to Riley Opelka in the Houston semifinal, and then he goes to Australia and then does not play another clay tournament. That is the plan for, for Nick but he might win Houston who knows from grisha why has faa struggled on clay in the last few years i can't really see any reason why his game shouldn't translate nicely to clay and he's had some great results in 2019 but nothing since then i think it might have been an example of for alcaraz for for faa on clay i think it might have been an example if he was just so much better than everyone else at that level, that, I mean, Clay was never his best surface, but he was still just winning tennis matches. But look, the the reason is clear. FAA has an elite first serve. It's really good and still underrated. The forehand that he hits behind it is unbelievably potent and damaging. And that in combination is why it is so difficult to break Felix uh, and, and break that serve. He also was a good returner and a really good athlete and that puts him in enough return games. However, he uh, he does not have he has not had great rally tolerance. He has sometimes struggled to with his shot selection, he struggled with his point construction he struggled with his ability sometimes to finish points on slow surfaces especially with the struggles that he's had in his transition game and for all those reasons that's why clay has been a struggle the best surfaces for Al- for for FAA are the surfaces that don't force him to play long rallies he's great he's better with the bang bang tennis serve forehand um lots of holds of serve he's he's great you know he takes he takes time away very well he takes the ball early very well it rewards him on grass you know on on grass it's so hard to to get past his serve plus one and on clay it's a lot easier for opponents to get past his serve plus one to drag him into a rally to make him hit neutral backhands and and that's when he becomes beatable All right, long one here from the tennis room. I was really disappointed with the 2021 Women's French Open. So many top seeds were out, which left a Pavs, Zidancic, Sakharovic, semi semifinal lineup, which I thought was just unacceptable for a slam at the time. Yeah, it really did lack. It lacked juice, I I, I hate to say. Even though those are all now, I mean, especially Sakharovic and Krajčíková, I, I think those are, you know, both of them are top players it, it it lacked juice, no doubt about it. Now a year on, it could be very interesting as the top ten are actually good on clay, with Iga being the overwhelming favorite, but who looks like she's built for clay. Krejcikova, who looked like she's a top player, and her run was not a fluke. Sakari made another semifinal last year and has made a big tournament finals this year. Annette, who's in form and who pushed Iga into a tiebreak at last year's Roland Garros. Simona, now working with Patrick Mouratoglou, who could bring success at this year's RG. And just seeing that Naomi can what uh, Naomi can do as she's an unknown factor. This could be a very exciting Roland Garros for the women's tour. Do you agree? Wow! Yeah, before this comment, I didn't realize this, but most of the top women right now, clay is their best surface. I did not realize that until reading this comment. But Krejčíková, based on results at least, it's a little strange to me based on her game. But based on results, clay is her best surface. Sakurī, I think so. I think clay is the best for her. Um, although that is debatable. Bedosa, I think certainly. Um, and obviously, Shmiantek clay is has been her best surface, so it is probably the most competitive surface for the women. Now, Contivate definitely not. Simona, maybe, but n- not really. But maybe, I mean, she has been she has been great at at Roland Garros in her career. Hallop. So so I I suppose, but I guess it's not it's not that Clay is not her best surface, it very well could be. It's more that it's more so that I don't know that she's at the moment in on the level with the other contenders that that I just mentioned. She could be by the time Paris rolls around. And by the way, the the end of this comment is a shout out to Beatrice Haddad Maya, who is playing fantastic tennis, who is on a great comeback uh, from her drug suspension, PED suspension. Um, so so yes, she, she is someone to watch as well. SJ, I'm at the point where I'm ready to put Alcaraz up in the tier with Tsitsipas, Medvedev, and Zverev already. Does it seem too early for you, or are you about there as well? So as far as tennis tiers, I'd like to go tier one, Djokovic Nadal, Tier Two, Medvedev, Zverev, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas. Tier Three, Berrettini, Rude, Rude, Sinner. Sorry, Rublev, Rude, Sinner, and a few others. Obviously they vary by surface too, like on hard courts, Medvedev's moves above the rest on tier two. On Clay, Nadal is kind of in a tier of his own and titi Verev move up. Uh, but would you agree mostly with these? I guess mostly. I mean I would I would be inclined to put Medvedev in tier one. That that's the level of dominance that he's had on hard courts in the last uh two years. Slash three, summer of 19 as well. I think Medvedev goes in tier one for the most part. And I I think, I also think he'll have success at Wimbledon and that will put to bed the knock on Medvedev that he's only, that he's one dimensional, that he only wins on hard courts, um, fast hard courts even. It would be nice for him to also be a little bit better at the Sunshine Double to kind of help his cause as a less surface dependent player which which he hasn't really done yet. I would be inclined to put Medvedev in tier 1. Does Alcaraz belong in tier 2 right now? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's not too soon. I mean, look, he would be the favorite in the betting market and there would be no arguments for me, probably no arguments for most. Alcaraz Berrettini right now. Yeah, he's the favorite. Um he you know, he he beat Berrettini last time they played for what it's worth. Lost to him at the Australian Open. Uh, Alcaraz Rublev, Alcaraz Rude, Alcaraz Sinner. He's the favorite in all these matches. On any surface, really. Maybe except grass. Berrettini, Alcaraz on grass. You favor Berrettini. That's about it. Other than that, like any surface, he's the favorite. What's up with Shapovalov not playing France slash Monaco? Also would like to know who you are most excited to see play on clay this spring. My pick is either Jensen Brooksby or Tommy Paul. I don't know what's going on with Shapo. I don't know where he's at. I don't know why he didn't play. It was weird that he didn't play the French Open last year. I don't know. He had the shoulder injury, but it was weird because he played in the Geneva final and had a week after playing in the Geneva final. So I'm not sure what happened. Might have injured himself in training. Uh, but yeah, now now he's not playing Monaco. I'm not sure why. I don't know. I also don't know who I'm really most excited to watch play here um, outside of like the top 20. Uh, I'm not really sure. House of Fleaves. Uh, do you think Rublev is a real contender to win a Masters 1000 on clay? And do you think he has the game to beat Djokovic on that surface? The second part of your question, no, not really. I don't think he has the game to beat Djokovic on clay uh, at the moment. I mean, I, I want to say no, but I will say this. There's a lot of guys out right now. Uh, Berrettini, team, Nadal. There are a lot of players who would generally, and, and even Medvedev, um, less, less Medvedev, but sure. Uh, a lot of guys who would be contending for these clay Masters 1000 events who, who can't right now. So in that respect, maybe Rublev can win one. But generally speaking, I I, I want to say no. But maybe if the draw opens up. From that Gooner, can Nori stay slash finish in the top 10 by the end of clay? Can he displace someone like Felix and fend off what's behind, given Alcaraz's entry is inevitable? His style seems well-suited to the surface, and he had a good year last year without racking up a lot of points because of his low ranking at the time. Or racking up a lot. Okay, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Anyway, onward. Looking at the highlights of last year's finals, it's clear that his game has come a long way in every sense. He's experimented well with his offense to improve it further already this year. He's reliable defensively. His spot serving is the best it's ever been. Now, he neutralizes much better too. Leans into his incredible endurance now more than ever. And he just seems to play in a less scattered manner compared to what I saw from those videos. Could he even finally wake, make a second week of a slam? Yeah, no Nori should have the goods on clay for the most part. I mean, again, he has that physicality, and that's number one. And he should be able to grind out a lot of matches on on the surface. He's beefed up the forehand, which is important. That's your weapon on clay. You need that to, to dictate rallies and to look for finishes and to apply pressure. Now, that flat backhand is a weapon on low bouncing quicker surfaces that's really not going to be the case on clay so he needs to run around his backhand more in my opinion hit more forehands the backhand is no longer that's a terrible backhand for clay let's just say that it's not a good backhand for clay so you kind of have that 50-50 thing there the way he hits uh, his serve not really ideal for clay it's a slice serve you want more of a kick On clay, generally speaking, so I don't know. It's gonna be interesting to see. There are again, there are aspects of his game that I like on clay, aspects of his game that I don't. But uh, he should be pretty good. Karen Montgomery. Oh, and and I guess the question was, can he stay in the top ten? I yes, I, I do think he can. From Karen. Hi, Gil. I've got a few fun theoretical questions that I think you'll like. Who is the best tennis player, say from 90s to the present, to have never won a Grand Slam? I was thinking David Nalbandian or maybe Ferrer. I think, I I do think it's Ferrer. Uh, As far as someone who has a couple of top five finishes. Someone who's been in a final. Someone who has made multiple semifinals at majors. Uh, I think Ferrer... He's kind of a cut above most. I mean, now Bandian never finished in the top five. He never made a, a major final. Ferrer, and I'm I'm going off results here. You know, I can't I, I can't eye test a question like this. Um yeah, uh Sangha, Burdich, I don't think either of them ever finished in the top five. So yeah, I, I do think it's Ferrer. Then going back to like the nineties, I feel like everyone who should have won a slam got one. Uh, even, you know, early 2000s. Um, you know, that kind of gets into the next question where it's who are the best players to have won only one Grand Slam so far. Uh, Del Potro and team uh, are kind of candidates. Now, by the way, for the first question, I think you got to take out like Zverev and Tsitsipas because, you know, if, if they never get one, especially if Zverev never gets one, it'll be one of the great disappointments. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it might... It would probably be him. Same for Tsitsipas. I mean, both of them should win one. So, jury's still out on them, or we'll still see with them. Uh, one slam, yeah, team in Del Potro, you have kind of... Del Potro, you obviously have the in- injuries. Team, you have kind of that that long road to peaking, and now you have that, that dip, those injuries, that roadblock, and we'll see if he can get back to where he was. But one slam maybe Juan Carlos Ferrero uh but Andy Roddick is probably my answer to that you know that's the that's the guy who would have won i mean his career was just really knocked down a couple pegs by not being able to beat Roger Federer obviously loses the two Wimbledon finals i would say Andy Roddick maybe maybe Ferrero what about um what about like did Rafter win one or two I forget. One slammer. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, okay. Last one here. A few mailbags ago, you said that the best potential... I'm actually not going to get into this. In fairness. In fairness. Sorry, Karen. Ask that on another one. I want to keep it moving. Um, is stopping Alcaraz the main motivation of Djokovic and Nadal to, to dominate further? Is it the reason why Nadal was willing to risk his body for a few weeks just not to give Alcaraz the boost after Indian Wells? Um, and how important can a Djokovic-Alcaraz match be in the upcoming weeks? I don't think that's a motivation, really. Maybe one of it, but let's look. Let's not forget, Nadal and Djokovic are in a slam race here. That's what matters right now to Nadal and Djokovic. Is uh, it, does Novak come into this week thinking, man? I hope I can show the world that that uh, I'm still the man, and let's let's put this Alcaraz hype train to a halt. I would say so, yeah. If that match happens, that will be a, a motivating factor. But no, it's not Carlos Alcaraz. It's winning majors. That's what motivates these guys. And even if even if it's not the slam race, as Nadal will always tell you it's not, it's still winning majors. That's what motivates these guys. And look, the Djokovic-Alcaraz match, let's not overreact about that match. Let's make sure not to overreact about that match because the importance... Is uh it's just it's just a match. It's just a match at a masters. It's not you know, not in a major. It's Djokovic's first tournament back. It's Alcaraz's first tournament on Clay in a while. I mean You know, it's not that important. I'm excited for it. Like I don't I don't mean to to downplay it, but it's not that important. And it's the first meeting. So it's not like there's been a, you know, a, a very pronounced trend in the rivalry and someone's looking to turn it around or you know yeah no um okay from racket talk thanks for being a member uh, hi Gil. first a non-tennis question since you are a foodie and originally from new york what are your favorite new york style pizza restaurants um when i was there last year for the u.s open i tried a couple of them in manhattan but a lot of people say the best ones are actually in brooklyn what are your thoughts and then there's a tennis question I actually grew up in the suburbs though. So it's funny. I've been in LA now for about five months. And I feel like I've been able to get to probably more restaurants in LA in five months living here than I've probably eaten in Manhattan or close to Manhattan in, you know, living there for 18 years and then, you know, an additional really kind of on and off for another four. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm no Manhattan food scene expert as I would be if I ever got to live there, uh, because that's, you know. But, you know, you still get the the New York because I I was like I grew up 40 minutes away from Manhattan by car, um, like 50 minutes by train also. So, you know, I still got a lot of uh, I, a lot of pizzas and bagels and all that food culture kind of transfers over Uh to the suburbs, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not really your guy because I haven't. Tr- I haven't tried enough to be honest. I've tried plenty, um, but not enough to really be the authority there. Uh, but yeah, p- Brooklyn. Brooklyn's food scene is food. Food scene is right on par with Manhattan's. All right, tennis. Um. When I think about attacking slash offensive tennis players of today, my appreciation for the way Roger Federer used to dominate tennis. Constantly goes up, be it Alcaraz team, FAA, etc. They can all be classified as somewhat attacking players. Their brand of attacking tennis seems so physical and effort requiring. Whereas Federer's brand of attacking tennis was more modeled on efficiency and placement and variety. Do you think that a lot of these next-gen offensive players with good movement have simply not prioritized the powerful impact that accuracy, variety, and precision can have on their game and on their energy conservation? Or do you think they simply lack the talent to incorporate it in the way Federer was able to? Interesting comment. I think it's mostly string technology. Modern racket and string technology has not encouraged players to develop their games as Federer had in a in a previous era, right? Federer did not develop his game. Federer grew up playing with with these very, you know, stiff I'm not a a big racket technology guy, but these very kind of stiff rackets that that were not as forgiving and the sweet spots were not as big and look, modern rackets are designed to allow someone to swing as hard and fast as they possibly can and still keep the ball in the court and that as a product of that you get players like like Team and um players like FAA who yeah they it's not their games are not about precision and finesse it's it's racket speed and weight of shot combined with the consistency that allows you to sustain aggression. So I would blame the technology for the observation that that you've made there. Let me fire through a couple of others, then I'll get to Twitter. We'll go about an hour. Uh, which American would you consider is the best clay quarter right now? For me, I think Tommy Paul has the potential to be really good on clay, but just hasn't shown it yet. Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul. That That's the correct answer to that. Great kick serve, phenomenal uh, athlete, comfortable moving on the clay. Um, yeah, I mean the forehand just isn't. I'd like it to be a little bit better, in general. Um, so that's kind of the missing piece for Tommy. To be a great clay court player, I'd like him to have a great clay court pace generating forehand. I think it's it's good, but it could be better. For Andrew, have you and Salzenstein lost touch? That's Jeff Salzenstein. No, not not really. Um, I mean, a little bit, uh, but yeah, I I can get him on again soon. I, I look for the right topic, uh, but he's so busy with coaching that he's not always kind of, I think uh, sometimes he's not able to really focus on taking in all of the the action on, on tour. So I try to pick my spot to have him on and, and make sure that, that we're getting uh, the best at Salzenstein. But yeah, I'll, I'll try to have him on uh, soon. What does Rublev need to become an elite player? Better serve, more offensive tools. Right now, it's the second serve that is the, the area that that I, I really would like to see get better for him. From Sean, will an American win a Roland on Garros in the foreseeable future? Are there any players coming up who have the potential to go close? And are there any plans slash organizational strategies to improve American tennis in regards to Americans playing on clay slash the clay court season. And I got to say, I mean, look, Americans who, if everything goes right, could potentially win a major right now. If everything goes right, their development is, is perfect and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's Corda Brooksby, um, Opelka, Fritz. And could I ever see any of them winning the French if they're going to win a major? Not really, no. So, ultimately, no. Fajitas or enchiladas? From Austin. Neither. Tacos and burritos. Tacos and burritos over fajitas and enchiladas. Uh, Hi Gil, a question about you. Have you ever won any tournaments in your amateur career as a kid? Also, what was your worst shot back then and has it improved now? Uh, (laughs) no, I, I never, I never really won a tournament. No, I didn't play a lot. Anyone who's, who's heard me go in depth about my, my career as a junior, you know, that kind of, uh, there was a lot of procrastination long-term as to when I was going to really start to compete regularly. Um, and I, I trained full-time every, every summer for a lot of years. And, um, I, I trained a ton. And it was always, okay, at some point I'm going to start to really get on the grind of playing tournaments every weekend. Which I was willing to do, but just life factors and organizationally never really happened for me. I, I never really played enough. But but when I did play, uh, which were again, uh, you know, a handful of tournaments as, as a junior, never won one. Um, my worst shot, look... I would say dro- probably my drop shots they they were never really serviceable and I I regret that and I regret that I never worked on it and that I never thought it was really important and that it mattered and now I'm I'm seeing what a player like like Carlos can do and I just wish that I developed that because I wasn't my transition game wasn't amazing either. My volleys, in doubles, they were good. But in singles, they, they weren't great. Um, in doubles, they were very good. And in singles, they just weren't that good. I, I just wish I developed a drop shot so I could finish points better. But I, I, I never had great hands. And I never really focused and worked on it. And, and that's a regret. And it's still not good. But, you know, I need to train it. And now I, I play all the time. I, I love playing. But I, I'm not really training anymore. I'm just playing. So I don't know if I can ever really achieve my goals of improving that drop shot. Um, I am going to go to Twitter now and take a look at some of uh, some of these comments. Uh, could the and I'm going to kind of run through them pretty quickly. I don't want to go more than an hour. Could the ATP adopt players having access to data mid mid match before coaching becomes allowed? Uh, do you think players would handle it well? I just don't see the incentive for the ATP to do that. Are they improving the product? I mean, maybe they could slap a sponsor on it, and maybe like an Infosys or an IBM could could get some benefit out of that. But I I don't know that there's incentive for that to happen. Uh, but I, I think most players would handle it well. From Wild One, do you expect Sinner to have some good results on clay this season? I do. Um, yeah, last year he had a lot of bad draws. On, on the clay. And I think he's he's looking pretty, uh, pretty good physically this year so far. Besides all the injuries, actually. Maybe he's not looking good physically. Maybe I take that back. He's looking pretty strong in his movement. But he has also been injured uh, a lot to start the year. From Jason, can you expand on Nadal's stats being skewed given that he has taken a lot of time off and only plays at the highest level slash avoids bad surfaces like indoor hardcourt and grass? Well, I don't know, avoids, but I guess has been injured a lot that time of year. I think he overtook Novak as the best return games one percentage, but that's because he was uh, he has played way more on clay and slow hardcourt matches. On hardcourt, which is still too broad, Djokovic breaks 32% and Nadal at 29%. I mean, look, this is why I don't think we should care about career break uh, return games one percentage. I don't think we should care about that stat. This isn't like basketball where we have players on teams and we need to be like, who, who averaged the most rebounds and points and assists? And what about uh, three-point percentage and field goal percentage? We don't need to do that. In tennis, we have wins and losses. It's a one-on-one sport, so that's why let's just not let's not break down stats like that uh, for the most part because they, we don't need to do that. We we have wins and losses in tennis. Uh, Hugo Gaston is a great clay court player from Karthik. I don't know about great. It's good, solid. Sports fan, do you think the lack of matches will hinder Novak? Already kind of got into that. Uh from John, one guy I'm interested to see is de Schalk. Will his game improve on the clay and what can you see his ranking capping at before the US Open points drop? I think he I think he should be top 30 for sure uh before the US Open points drop. I don't think clay is going to be his jam though. He doesn't hit as heavy as I would like. Or a clay quarter changes direction very well. Has great consistency and shot tolerance. So, so, so maybe he will be good on clay. But he strikes me as someone who, uh, who prefers, who's going to prefer the hard court. Could be wrong about that. I still feel like I'm figuring out a lot of uh, Botik's game, to be honest. And I've I've watched him a lot. I just think he's a tough nut to crack. But ultimately, I I do feel like the changes of direction and the precision. Uh, and the way he takes time away are, are offensive assets that will suit him better on quicker surfaces. And on the clay, I do worry that he's going to be a little bit underpowered off the ground. From Bruno Alves, thoughts on what Maratoglou said about peak Novak being better than Rafa on clay. Ridiculous take by PMAC. Just so ridiculous. And... It just comes across as him trying to honestly um, just suck up to Novak for because he he wants to coach him. That's kind of what, and and he wants Novak to uh, train at his academy. You know, I, I that that's what it comes across to me as. I, I don't think I don't even think Patrick really believes that. Uh, it just it doesn't make any sense. Vims, uh, do you think Zverev will do better on clay and what do you think has hindered him so far? He's He's been really good on clay in his career. Uh, what will be a tennis player's greatest weapon on clay even on a bad day that can help him win? On a bad day, um, consistency and physicality and toughness. That, that, that won't win you uh, a lot of matches on grass even on a bad day. On grass, I'd say that's the serve. The serve can get you through a bad day on grass. On clay... Fitness can get you through a bad day fitness and consistency and toughness Dominic team not really ready to talk about him I have not, not much to say uh, tennis in the park says clay is at a three to eight uh, disadvantage to hardcourt in 500 level three to six disadvantage in masters one to two disadvantage in slams why I don't know not sure maybe maybe it's something I'll ask Joel Drucker. Uh, I know hard courts are obviously the easiest to maintain, and I-, I would think that there are more hard courts in the world than clay courts in general, but uh, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. It's just kind of how it's been. Um, can Fritz keep it going on clay? I'm not sure. I'm interested to see if he is still top eight in the race. By the end of clay court season, I'm I'm very curious to see that. I think that's one of the most interesting questions going into uh, clay season. Is or, or, or is will Fritz escape clay court season as one of the top eight? Because I am wondering at this point if Fritz will will end up in in turn at the end of the year, um, and. He doesn't need to play well on clay for that to happen. We've seen that, like with Hercote last year, uh, having a terrible clay court season, but doing enough elsewhere to still make it. But, but I, I am I am interested in that storyline, and I will have an eye on that. Uh, that is all. Um, obviously, this will replay, so if you join me late, make sure to watch the replay so you can uh, take in the beginning and the entire mailbag. I will have a Monte Carlo preview coming out. Tonight or this afternoon, within the next 12 hours, quarter by quarter, uh, analysis, dark horses, upset alerts, popcorn matches, quarterfinal predictions. If you're not subscribed, you know what to do. Um. Anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching live. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.